we're in a sort of a loose series on spiritual formation, kind of developing our spiritual lives, nurturing our spiritual lives. We've called this Fully Human, Fully Alive is, is sort of the title of the series. And this morning, uh, I have a, uh, I feel an interesting topic to add to that series. And my title today is Bitter or Better, Bitter or Better. And uh, some of you will know that that particular phrase comes from, uh, and I don't know if, uh, if John coined the phrase or not, but it's a phrase that John Wimber used to say quite often. In fact, I, I, I think he said to me, oh, more than a few times. And, and he would say, when we experience various trials, difficulties in life, they will make us, they will either make us bitter or better. And there's really some truth in that. Uh, I, I added a subtitle uh, as well today. What I, what I really, give you a little more definition to that, what I really want to talk about this morning is the gospel of suffering. Now, you, you might be saying to yourself, well, that's a bit of an oxymoron there. The, uh, the word gospel, most of us know, means what? Good news. Gospel is good news. Suffering is bad news. Good news, bad news. How could there be good news, uh, bad news? Um, I would say, first of all, those things are, are not mutually exclusive, although, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say uh, here, in, in a lot of uh, Pentecostal, charismatic, sort of spirit-filled circles, it might be presented that way. You, you, might, uh, you might actually think, have been taught that those things are mutually exclusive, that the good news, the gospel, and suffering uh, really have no connection together whatsoever. It's very, very common in, in kind of in those circles sometimes to hear that we're overcomers, we're victorious in Christ. All these things that are actually true, but to the exclusion of the fact that there may be some difficulties and some trials and some hard times in life as well. Uh, I, I, I know personally, and maybe some of you, if you know people, if you've been influenced by the Word of Faith movement or the Latter Rain movement or any number of different streams in Pentecostalism, um, you, you might have not only uh, never heard a theology of suffering, but might also have come to believe that if you actually go through hard times, that there's either that some sort of punishment or lack of faith or something else uh, in, in your life that's brought that on, I, I would just say this. I'm so thankful, honestly, for John Wimber and for the Vineyard Movement in that really, John, there's a differentiation between uh, Vineyard theology and that of a lot of Pentecostal theology, and that really does embrace a gospel of suffering. So that's, that's really what I want us to, uh, to focus in and look at uh, today a little bit. Uh, I believe a biblical perspective of hardship and of challenges and difficulties in our life and and how those things really can be, believe it or not, good news in our lives. So let's pray real quick and then we'll, we'll dive into this. Father, again, thank you for your word, your goodness to us, and your ability to uh, cause all things to work together for good in our lives as we submit our lives to you, surrender them to you, and love you with all that we have. Your name, amen. I want to look at four passages this morning in introduction. First one, um, Old Testament passage in Isaiah 53. Uh, and and I, didn't, I didn't put the whole chapter down. I took select verses. 
he grew up before him, and again, uh, I think most of us, in, in look, you know, looking back with hindsight, are aware that Isaiah is prophetically looking forward, speaking about Jesus here. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Uh, passage is often called the suffering servant, if you read through Isaiah 53. Uh, it's very clear that it's speaking of Jesus. It also notes several times in there that he did that on our behalf, that the suffering Jesus went through was for us, but he did, in fact, suffer. Uh, second passage Moving to the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. So he uh, obviously is looking back to Isaiah here. Um, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They, they will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. They did not know what he was talking about. So uh, the disciples would have been very aware of the Old Testament prophecies. They would have read Isaiah. But somehow, and it, it, it's one of those things that I just I have a hard time understanding, but somehow they could not put two and two together. They could not connect the idea that Jesus was who that was speaking of. They, they just could not make that connection. Even here where Jesus you know, kind of spells it out fairly clearly. He tells them, you know, this is that. I'm the guy. Uh, they, they're still looking for this Messiah that will come and sort of overthrow the wicked Roman government and establish Israel in its rightful place in the kingdom of God. And they, and they don't get that uh, th- there's this process that leads to that that is going to be a challenging and difficult process in his life. They just cannot figure that out. And then, of course, we know It's just a very, very short time after that conversation, Luke 22. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and he went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. I I love that. I I think oftentimes I, like maybe many of us, feel the disciples were just (laughs) non-caring. They were disconnected somehow. But he says they were asleep, exhausted from sorrow. They too were overwhelmed by the situation, but, of course, not nearly as overwhelmed as Jesus was. Uh, It's profound to me that he has this conversation with the Father, and he says, Lord, 
if you're willing, and if you read Matthew's gospel, if you kind of do the corollary there, Matthew says, it's, if it's possible, if there's any way, can you take this cup from me? Now, what Jesus is saying, I'll do it. I'm committed. It's your will, and I'm in. But if there's any other way, if there's some way around this, if, if we could do it differently, I, I'd, I'd really like to do that. The stress level, the anxiety, it says, is, you know, he's sweating drops of blood. I, I don't even, I can't, I don't, I mean, how high does your blood pressure need to go to sweat drops of blood? It's got to be through the roof. There was, there was a level of anxiety on the mind, the heart, the body, the physical being of Jesus at that moment. That's, that's probably greater than any of us really uh, can imagine. The father in that moment sends this angel to strengthen him. And I just look at that. I go, that's God's way of saying, you know what? Uh, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to provide some help for you in this, but, but we got to do it. This is, this is the way it's got to happen. Um, one, one last passage in introduction, Hebrews, 7, or Hebrews 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Um, Author of Hebrews gives us really just a summary description of what we just read in Luke. Uh, though Jesus was submissive and obedient to his father, he still had to go through what he went through on the cross. And then in verse 8, he adds this phrase, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. I, that's another one of those things I just go, how does that work? This is Jesus we're talking about, and he had to learn obedience. How did, how did that happen? How does that work? But I guess what I bring away from that is if, if Jesus needs, needed to go through a time of suffering to learn obedience to the Father in his life, then how much more do you and I? How much more do we need to do that? Um, I want to give us a little bit of context for what I'm sharing this morning. First of all, I want to say this. I think it's important to know. God is not a morbid God. Uh, he, he is not into uh, some sort of sadistic doling out of pain. He's not just looking to, you know, make our lives as miserable as possible on earth. Although, uh, you know, I will say from time to time, I've met a few Christians that I think uh, have bought into that somehow. They just sort of seem to think that following God is this incredible burden, this incredible weight. I would say no. Uh, the exact opposite is true. I, I believe God is a God of joy. And I love the passages that say things like he rejoices over us with singing. And what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in, in Jesus knowing how loved he was is just the fact that God, he, we don't have to do anything to earn that. He's just got, finds pleasure in us. He's like, like me with my grandson. You just look at him. You just look at him and you go, man, that, that gives me so much joy. And, and in that, I believe that God wants us equally to have joy in him. I really do. I, he rejoices over us, and I believe he wants us to rejoice over him. He wants to bless us. Uh, we, we've said in the course of this series a few times, Jesus is the perfect representation of God. If you want to know what God looks like, just look at Jesus. And I'll just say this, Jesus was a partier. Uh, if you if you kind of follow the trajectory there, uh, he, he kind of made his way around. He, 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 he uh, hit a few parties. He was accused. Uh, unright, un, you know, not rightly, but accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he went to so many parties. Um, and, and I really believe that God is a joyful God. God delights in us, and he delights in giving his kids good and perfect gifts. God, God is, a, is, a, is a blessed God. 
And he really wants us to experience joy, experience pleasure in this life. There's a tendency in religion, and not in true spirituality, I want to differentiate, but in religion, to equate sort of pleasure with being bad. Have you ever noticed that? If something, <laughs> I, this is, if something tastes really, really good, what do we say it is? It's sinfully delicious. That's, a, that's, that's been used as a catchphrase for any number of different products. This is so good, it's sin. Why is it not righteously delicious? I, I think, you know, it, it, should, it should be uh, gloriously delicious instead of sinfully delicious. Um, if we indulge ourselves in something, whether it's, you know, some uh, treat or uh, for me, sometimes I'll use the ter- this term in relationship to listening to really cheesy music and then admitting that I actually like it. Uh, but we call that a guilty pleasure. Why is that a guilty pleasure? Why can't that just be a cheesy pleasure? Uh, you know, I mean, it's a guilty pleasure. My favorite one is this. If you eat the chocolate cake, the triple chocolate, death by chocolate cake, okay, so first of all, the cake is what? Devil's food, right? Which is It's devil's food. It's bad. Then you put the chocolate frosting and the chocolate ganache in the middle, and you eat that, and we say, What? You're leaving to go get cake now? <laughs> but we call that decadent. It's decadent. You know, it's, decadent just means simple. Why can't we just say it's really freaking good? I mean, it's just, it's bad. It's so good, it's bad. Why is that? Why do we think that? I was just going to say, no, wrong, wrong, wrong. That's all wrong. God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to enjoy those things. I'll just, I'll tell you for me, man, when I'm, if I'm home, beautiful summer day like we've had lately, out of my deck, uh, I turn on my barbecue. I'm going to cook some ribs. Kids coming over and make some ribs. I'm possibly going to pop a cold one. And I'm going to just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, this, is, I'm, this is life right here. Pleasure in life. Uh, let me do good food, good wine, uh, music, the weather, uh, sex. All of those things. Yeah, I said that. Uh, those are gifts from God. Those are good things. Uh, look, uh, there's appropriate context. I understand that. Moderate all those things. Yes, very much so. But nonetheless, the reality is those are gifts from God. They're pleasures. He wants us to enjoy life. Paul tells Timothy at the end of First Timothy, uh, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants us to have a good time. He wants us to enjoy life. So God is not a morbid God. However, okay, so here's where there's really kind of two categories of pleasure. Uh, There's immediate pleasure right now, right? And then there's what we call sort of delayed gratification. And this is the sort of, uh, you know, you, you kind of have to work for it. You have to do something to earn it kind of pleasure. And I want to say that that second category is always more profound. When you, ha- when you look, if it, you just eat the chocolate cake, uh, that's nice. It's, it's a good deal. Uh, but if you set some goals and you work towards those goals and you, you really have to uh, sweat, as it were, to, to accomplish that thing, at the end of that, that's a much more meaningful experience, isn't it? Isn't it really a much more meaningful experience? I'll tell you, it's also a better story. 
It really is. Uh, a few years ago, now, uh, when I was a little bit younger, on one of our trips to Nicaragua, uh, we had a little group that was trying to start a church on Ometepe Island. Ometepe is an island in the middle of Lake Nicaragua. Lake Nicaragua is a huge lake, 100 miles long, biggest body of fresh water in South America. And the island is made up of two volcanoes, and there are about 20,000 people that live on this island full-time. They, they live there, and uh, they were trying to start a little vineyard church, so we went over to visit them. Uh, now, the smaller of the two volcanoes is called Madeiras, and people climb it. They hike it. So my good friend Steve Fish says, let's climb the volcano. So I said, why not? Why not? So uh, some of you guys know David Brock at Hillsborough Vineyard and James LaFollette, uh, the pastor of um, Hermiston Vineyard. So uh, Steve and his son, James, David, and I climbed the volcano. Uh, Madeiras is 4,500 feet in elevation. It's about 11 miles total round trip, about five uh, five or five and a half up, five and a half back. It's about a 10-hour trip. Round, you know, you do it in a day. It's not. It's not like the United States. It's not like Yosemite. There's no campgrounds. There's no park. There's no trails. It's a, it's just a mountain. Uh, so you do it in one day. But now let me say this: when you climb up Madeiras, it's one of the only places in the world you're actually hiking through a natural cloud forest. So you're literally you you are literally walking through the clouds. Uh, is the most amazing experience. There are, uh, I don't know what the correct term is, herds of butterflies, flocks of butterflies. There are, there are thousands of butterflies. It's one of the only places you can see something called the blue morphous butterfly. There's blue and yellow and white butterflies flying. I'm not making this up. There's birds. There's monkeys in the trees. You're walking and there are monkeys swinging in the trees. There are ancient petroglyphs, carvings in these rocks along the trail. Uh, it is one of the most, uh, I mean, I, it's one of the most unreal experiences I've ever had in my life. But it was a beast. Let me tell you. Uh, it was so, so incredibly hard. So difficult. I mean, again, the, the, the opportunity, the, the joy, the pleasure, the overwhelming experience was so rich and so full. But it hurt like heck. Uh, it's just basically, there's no switchbacks. You just go straight up and straight down. It's so hard. Going up, and you, and you hike up to the top, and then you go actually down into the crater, and the crater is a, is a natural lake. It's full of rainwater. Uh, if you so desire, you can swim in it, but it's cold. We didn't swim. We just splashed. Uh, but I'm telling you, there were so many times it hurt so bad I wanted to go back. I didn't want to go. I wanted to stop. But I just thought I have to keep going. It, you, you know, you're going up, and going up, you get tired. You get tired, 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 tired. And then you get to the top, and you made it. You, you know, you, that's like the accomplishment. Uh, but the, the thing that sucks is now you've got to go down. And going down is worse than coming up, especially if you're an old guy. My knees hurt so bad coming down. I mean, they were – I was literally – this is the truth. I was walking sideways – one step at a time, all the way down, because my knees hurt so bad. I'm going to out my friend right now. We're we're walking down, and we're, we're just wiped out. We're completely exhausted. We kind of got spread out a little bit. So there's this one area where we're just walking. It's just Steve and I. And you know how it is when you're really tired, you're not talking. So it's just quiet for a long time. And then out of nowhere, Fish looks at me, and he goes, I'm, I'm starting, I'm starting. I'm starting to think maybe I, 
I, I can't make it. Like, shut up. Like, Steve, okay, we're, we're on a volcano on an island in a lake in Nicaragua. There's, there's no life flight. There's no search and rescue. If you don't make it, no one's coming. So just shut up and walk. I go, I go look, I am not going down and calling your wife. Hey, Lane, it's Glenn. Yeah, um, well, Steve didn't make it. What do you mean? Oh, he got tired and sat down on the mountain, so we left him. No, just keep walking, okay? But I'm telling you, my point is simply amazing, amazing, precious life experience that would not have happened without some pain. And that principle is true in everything in life, if you think about it. You think about those of you that are married, Father's Day today, uh, you know, marriage is hard, let's be honest. But if you don't go through those times together and, and really press in, uh, you'll never have the depth of relationship you have otherwise. Friendships are that same way too, any relationship with friends. You, you know, my best friends in life are, are the friends that we've gone through some stuff. We've worked some stuff out. There's been some pain. And we've, we've really pounded through that thing. Um, hmm? Childbirth? <laughs> You know, what do you know? You don't know. Shane wants to tell us about childbirth. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, let me just say, it's a great illustration. Um, but, you know, none of us likes pain. None of us would sign up for that. Um, we, we have this idea in our mind that pain, we associate pain with being bad, but really pain is good. Do you understand that? If, if you, you know, there's a weird abnormality, I don't understand, but some people don't feel pain. Look, if you don't feel pain, if you, you, you know, there's fire, you put your hand over the fire, if you don't feel, if you feel pain, you go, ah, oh, take the hand away, it's going to burn. If you don't feel pain, you're going to burn, it's bad. So pain actually is good, it tells us something is wrong, that we need to adjust something. We're programmed culturally, we're indoctrinated in our culture today, we, to avoid pain, we want, we, we're told all, all the time, that the, we, we need to get those first kind of category of pleasures. We want everything right now, don't we? Is it, we live in this instant gratification culture. We want everything now. And I will tell you, it is out of control. It's out of control. I, I personally feel like I'm a fairly uh, learned person. I kind of have a good perspective on life. I get it. I, I think those things of myself. Uh, but let me tell you something. You know, my phone. If 15 years ago, I didn't have a cell phone. My wife made me get here. You have to have this. So 15 years later, I'm looking up some obscure fact on my phone in the middle of nowhere. And if it doesn't tell me what I want to know in two seconds, I'm going, what the heck is wrong with this thing? Right? Do you not do that? It's not fast enough. We get so mad. We get so mad because it's not fast enough. I need to know, I need to know some totally obscure fact and it, my phone is going to tell me that fact but if it doesn't tell me in three seconds i'm frustrated we want everything now and we tend to run from pain but i want to just say this to you i don't believe anything in life is really worth it unless we work for it and i and i think spiritual formation is the same way it, it nothing is really worth it without some level of discomfort and pain in our lives. Uh, athletes get this. Athletes know this, right? What's the most famous athletic motto in the history of the world? No pain, no gain. 
Nobody has any idea who made that up because everybody used it. No pain, no gain. That guy, that, that was me just a few years ago. <laughs> it was not. Uh, but that guy didn't get like that without some pain. I'm going to tell you right now, he, he worked hard and he felt it uh, more than once to get that body. No pain, no gain. If, if we believe, if we believe that we can attain a, de- a level of spiritual life and spiritual depth and intimacy with Jesus uh, in a pain-free environment, then uh, we really, really are deceiving ourselves. We really are. We'll never really know what it means to, to, to really uh, experience the depths of Jesus Christ. Years ago, not too long, six, seven years ago, some of you will remember this, Mother Teresa wrote a book. And Mother Teresa obviously was one of those saints that we uh, are highly, highly venerated. I don't know very many Christians ever in the history of the world that, that are more venerated than Mother Teresa. And she was criticized for the book because really it was kind of about her dark night of the soul. It really was about how challenging and how difficult her life was. I read it. And people criticized, like, well, what, is she a fake? All these years? I, I thought, my God, no, she is just so honest in her relationship with Jesus. She's so honest. She, she, I'm just like, Mother Teresa gets it. She gets it more than I ever knew she gets it. She's not saying that everything I did, everything I gave my life was easy and, and carefree. No, she was saying it was really, really, really hard, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I believe that the Bible teaches us that we should expect hardships. Um, I, I, I think it's a foundational kingdom principle. I really do. I believe it's a foundational kingdom principle. To get joy, we have to go through suffering. To get to joy, we really do have to go through suffering. I, there are uh, probably 20 different verses in 20 different ways that indicate that to us, but I am going to just look at a few of those this morning. Uh, Romans 5, one of my favorites. Uh, not only so, but we, we, glo- we also glory... Different translations will use the terms uh, boast or rejoice there in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Uh, my, my computer just went dead. Hey, Kyle, do you have a uh, plug? Do you have a, a, a power cord for a computer? Well, Mac, you don't? Tucker does. Can I use yours? Uh, the progression of thought. Matt, today is just one of those technical days. I am just so bugged right now. Um, it is. And you know, I thought of that this morning when that thing blew up. It's the first thing I thought of. Uh, but the, the progression of thought there, we rejoice in our sufferings. We really do because they produce perseverance in our lives. True. Perseverance develops character, and character ultimately brings about hope. That is a progression of thought that Paul has made that's, uh, that's really, really uh, profound and powerful in terms of how we go through those things to get to where we need to be. Um, Thank you, young man. Oh, it's the wrong plug. It's wrong plug. Sorry. Now I have to act. Get me a Bible. Get you a Bible. I need a Bible. I'm gonna have to actually read from a Bible. Okay, good boy. <laughs> okay, Romans eight is the uh, next passage. I don't. And Romans 8 says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. 
So what Paul's saying here, he's not saying you might suffer. I, I consider the sufferings of this time to be minor compared with what I will one day experience in Jesus. Uh, of course, he's talking on one level, I believe, about being uh, in eternity you know, with Jesus. But I think he's also talking about a depth of, of joy and relationship in this life. And then if you want to uh, follow with me, I'm going to go to Hebrews 12, 818. 8.18, and then Hebrews 12, verse beginning at verse 7, uh, says it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which we all participate, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Let me just say here again, I think the idea of discipline is a little bit misunderstood largely. Sometimes when we think of discipline, we think of punishment. We sort of equate those two things. But the, the word that's used here, the Greek word, is paideia. And it really means this. It's to teach, to educate, to nurture. Um, so if you think of discipline in the sense of uh, a discipline, to study something, that, you know, like if you play an instrument and you t- that's a discipline you learn, uh, you, I think you see that differently. It's not that God is punishing us, but he is, he is allowing us to work and to be challenged through some things. And then the last one is James chapter 1, and James goes for the throat, as he so, uh, so often does. Uh, right from the very beginning, James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith pr- produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says that we uh, should consider it joy when we go through difficult times, because those difficult times will bring about perseverance in our lives. Jesus uh, suffered. And he did so in obedience to the Father. He submitted his will to the Father. And in doing so, he went through difficult times. I want to say, I don't believe there's any greater joy in life than being submitted to the will of God. The greatest joy we can know is being submitted to the will of God. And in being submitted to the will of God, we have to come to the understanding that there may be some challenges related in that. Jesus endured the cross, okay? He endured the cross. And I want to look at... uh, One more verse from the book of Hebrews for those of you that are following along, ladies. Uh, This is chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and it's it's in the very beginning. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and he's talking about those saints that have gone before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Then he continues and he says, Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses my sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. So I, I, I'm, I get frustrated a little bit with the translators because they break those 
that section out into two sections, and they put sort of a subtitle in the middle. But it's one progressive thought. Uh, what the writer is saying is Jesus endured the cross with joy. He submitted himself to the Father for joy. And that's not only something he did for us, but it's something he did as an example for us to follow, that we too will submit ourselves to the Father and it'll bring joy into our lives by allowing us to go through whatever he has for us. Uh, John Wimber used to say, I never trust a leader without a limp. And what he meant by that and he said, was that any true spiritual leader, if you have a depth of spirituality in your life, it's going to have come at a cost. It's going to have come with some level of challenge in life. Uh, humility, faithfulness, perseverance, character, those kinds of things are formed in the crucible of suffering. You don't get those just by living a free and easy life. So I guess just in, you know, in summary, don't, don't run from hardships necessarily. Learn to embrace challenges in our lives. Learn to embrace difficult things. Um, embrace them as part of the process of spiritual formation. If we're going to uh, achieve, attain a, a depth of spirituality in our life, in, in the formation of the image of Christ, we'll have to go through those things. And in that regard, they really can be good news. Because the outcome is they'll make us more like Jesus. Now I'm going to, oh my word, we're really over. Really quickly, I want to just make a distinction. Um, God will use challenges and difficulties in our lives, but that does not necessarily mean he causes them in our lives. Okay, doesn't mean that God brought those about. Uh, how, how they got there very often, frankly, is bad news. We live, in a, we live in a fallen world. There's evil people. There's evil spiritual forces. So you, some of you, some people and others, you've, we've been through incredibly difficult, painful, painful things in life. Very, very terrible, terrible things. God did not bring those about. He did not want you to go through that. But in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite power, in his infinite glory, and in his infinite grace, he will take those things and use them to our benefit and to our to our good. And that's what Romans 8.28 really is saying. Uh, you know, that verse that he works, he works in all things for, for the good of those who love him. He doesn't say he causes all things, but he works in all things. So he can make good news out of that. Uh, the way that works, just really quickly, when God says he works in all things, the word there is sunergeo. It's a Greek word that we get the word synergy from. You know what synergy is? Synergy is when something, the outcome of something is greater than the sum of the parts. So it's like if two people do a job, but they got the work of four people done, that's synergy. God, what, what, what Paul is saying is when there's synergy, when we work together with God, he brings about good out of a desperate situation in our life. That's what happens when we say, no, I'm going to take this situation that I'm enduring today, and I'm going to work with God and allow him to make me better, not bitter. So, again, just don't run from pain necessarily. It doesn't mean you have to inflict pain upon yourselves. Don't run from it. Don't think it's from God. But embrace it, walk through it, and allow the Holy Spirit to use it to transform your life and, and to cause us to come to a place of understanding of Christ that we wouldn't be otherwise. All right, let's stand. Oh, yes, sure, why not?